Hello and welcome to the Cyber Sisters podcast, where your cyber sisters, Allison and Emily, two cyber educators, talking about edtech pedagogy and life in the digital age. Welcome back, everyone, and happy holidays. We're so excited that you are joining us, and we hope that you and your families have had a safe and uh, fun, blessed holiday season, um, and hopefully you've gotten some good rest in there as well. Um, in today's episode, we're going to start with a little bit of a check-in about our own holidays, and then we need to react uh, to Karen's awesome interview that was released right before the break. So, Emily, how was your holidays? Um, how are you doing getting ready for this brand new year? Are you ready for 2021? I think we're all ready for 2021. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be rid of the uh dumpster fire that was 2020 <laughs> uh, i mean it started out good like i think of the like the last major thing that happened in 2020 before um all of this disaster that really was pete and c which was amazing um and then kind of everything fell apart so like that was really good <laughs> And it is really interesting because I, I did a similar thing where over the break, I was looking back at some old photos and stuff. And there were things from that first half of the year, like Pete and C, that I almost had forgotten took place inside of 2020. So I, I do think it's really interesting how, you know, this year, the, the time I just think expanded exponentially. Um, but I, I agree. And speaking of, this actually seems like a great opportunity to announce that we will be back at Pete and C uh, in 2021. This will be a virtual conference this time, but we're still really excited. Um, Emily, do you want to mention what our lovely presentations are going to be? Yeah, so we have podcasting for professional development. So if you want to come hang out with us and learn all about how we do our podcast, um, that will be on the 10th at 545. Um, and then we have getting virtual with the Cyber Sisters. Um, that will be on the 11th at 1230. And that's all about how we do virtual classroom and all sorts of um, virtual learning with us. So we're really excited for our sessions. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to see sort of everybody in our, you know, Pete and C community and all that great stuff. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I have one more presentation that I'll be doing uh, with my group, hashtag Gamify Ed. Um, we run a book study. Uh, this year we did it with in partnership with PAECT um, on Reality is Broken. Um, and we're really excited that we're going to be doing a, a gamified session as well. So ours is going to be about, uh, I think it's hashtag Respawn. Um, um, uh, the, basically the game mistakes that we made so you don't have to. So it's going to be really interesting about sort of some of the big mistakes that we've made in gamification over the years. So if you're interested in that kind of fun nerd stuff, please come and hang out with us as well. But so we have a lot of things that we're definitely looking forward to, I think, in, in this next year. How were your holidays, Emily? Did you get some good time with family and all that good stuff? Yeah, it was good. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've officially announced this on the podcast, not like it's exciting news because um, it's actually pretty terrible news, um, but I ended up having ankle surgery right after Thanksgiving, like the day Ooh. after Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> so but, sad. Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, this is terrible news, actually. Um, but because of that, I've been living with my parents because um, not being able to walk kind of does that. So... I was, however, able to then spend the holiday with my parents because of um, 
that situation. So that's the silver lining to it, um, is that I was able to spend spend the holidays with them. Um, we did, of course, the traditional, for this year, traditional, everybody Zoomed with their faraway relatives, and <laughs> we did the all the family Zooms and all of that, which was nice. But yeah, so was able to do that. Um, in exciting school news, though, I did also find out right before break that I'm getting a student teacher. So Yay! first time for me, and I am so excited. Um, so I will get her towards the end of January. Um, so we've been emailing back and forth already, and I'm super excited for that. Well, I can't think of any better person to be paired with than you, Em. I think that you're going to do a fantastic job of really taking someone through the pedagogy and the mindset of um, digital education and virtual learning, because it is, I think, a little bit different in places than, than traditional classroom learning. And I am really excited that there's going to be, you know, a whole crop of, of student teachers sort of in this next year, because we know that there are many, many um, schools that are, are sort of reimagining what student teaching needs to look like right now and pre-service teaching needs to look like during this pandemic that are going to have, I think, a whole host of different opportunities to try things in hybrid or in virtual um, kind of environments. And I, I, in some ways, like I'm a little bit jealous. I wish that I could go back in time and have had experiences like this of very different kinds of education, because I do think that if I had from a much, much earlier in my pre-service days been thinking about you know, what educational environments can look like. I, I think that's a huge leg up um, in terms of being able to do different things in education. So I think this is going to be a really fun opportunity and I can't wait to meet her. I'm so excited. <laughs> Have you done any school things over break or are you just taking a reset? <laughs> I am taking a pretty hard reset. Um, I had a very good holiday. I was fortunate enough to spend um, some of that holiday sort of safely with some loved ones. You know, we, we did some different things to social distance. Um, but I am really challenging myself to take an actual break on this break. Normally I spend, you know, my, my vacation time, um, you know, trying to build things and make things, but this year has been quite a lot. <laughs> There's been a lot of changes and a lot of stress. And I, I honestly think that the best way that I can serve my students is by taking sort of a week of my life and really just allowing myself to completely refill that bucket so that I can bring that back in um, ready and ready to go. But it is surprisingly difficult because as Emily and I can attest to, we spent about an hour before actually recording this podcast talking <laughs> about school stuff. And I just felt that bug. I was like, oh, maybe I'll log in and check something or grade something or do something. <laughs> it was right there. And I, I ended up, you know, saying, no, I told myself I wasn't going to. So it's it can be hard, though. It can be very, very hard, though, to actually take like a real break. Um, but I do think that is an excellent segue into our uh, thought about this particular episode. So our episode today is all about uh, sort of reaction to Karen's interview on classroom engagement and classroom engagement and on all of these different models. Um, so today's podcast, we're gonna be talking a little bit about some of our takeaways from that interview, some of the things that we thought were really interesting and really strong and we have some you know thoughts and, and feelings and opinions about. Um, and then we are going to spend some time talking about things that we're thinking for in getting ready uh, you know, the, the beginning of the school year, classroom engagement at the beginning of January, I think is always a really good opportunity to reset your classroom a little bit because it's a brand new year. Um, you know the kids, you know the environment, you kind of know what's going on. And so 
it's a great opportunity that when kids come back to be able to say, okay, guys, you know, we're going to kind of clear the slate clean. We're going to try some new things. And kids are really open to sort of accepting and receiving that, I think, around the new year. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of our advice for, you know, if your start to the year didn't have the best engagement, didn't have the best situation, what are some of the things that we are thinking about for our own classrooms um, and some of the advice that we have uh, to sort of help with that. And then we have a fantastic listener question that I actually think ties in really well from not a teacher, but a parent um, about getting uh, her student to engage more in class. So I think this is going to be a pretty awesome episode. I mean, Karen is a pretty awesome person, so I'm not sure if we can hold up our reflection episode to her interview, but <laughs> we will do our best. <laughs> I agree. I, I love Karen. Um, I re-listening to her episode. I've now done it twice because I listened to it once on the edit and then a second time as we were getting ready to record this episode as well. Um, and just every time it really truly makes me like belly laugh. Like she just comes across so well. It doesn't matter the medium. It doesn't matter if you're in person or, you know, on the phone with her or, you know, on a Zoom call with her, right? She has that like big personality. And I think also that care that really comes across too. Like I am sure that as students of hers, right, you must really feel like that care in the classroom. Um, and I, I really appreciated her coming on. But I, I loved a lot of the things that she had to say about uh, creating an engaging classroom environment. Um, and I know that for me, one of the things that I really thought was interesting was the way that she talked about um, differentiation, right? So she spent a lot of time talking about creating a, a classroom environment and what, what could get kids to feel comfortable and trusting. But she spent a lot of time also talking about community engagement, all the work that her team did to bring parents and families and community into the classroom. So from that um, really epic Zoom fail <laughs> that she talked about that, that was talked about as a fail forward, but I loved that there was this opportunity for families to kind of come in and have that team meeting to the lunches that she talked about, um, to the all the different methods and mediums to get across to parents like what assignments were missing and what things still needed to be done. Because we often say about students, right, that every student is different. Every student needs to have differentiated methods of learning. And the same is really true for parents and families. For some of them, like the meetings really work and other ones like the remind text and other ones like to be able to log in and look and see sort of where students are in, in a dashboard. Um, and so that really did get me thinking about what what are my differentiated methods in terms of reaching out to, to families and all of those various things. What are some of the things that you took away from her, her interview, Em? Um, so I, I had the same idea, except I kind of took it a, a, in a different vein, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, but I, my thought with that story was how important communication was um, in the sense of being communicating with your parents and communicating with their families. Um, and so with that same idea in the sense of how important communication was um, and laying that communication groundwork early um, in the sense of obviously um, we were talking about how our memories of January and February and half of March were great and then March happened. <laughs> um, but from the school year, everything, all of that, those communication pieces that you laid from September through February, that's what carried you through March to the end of the year. Um, 
last year. So having those communication pieces with parents were so important, no matter what communication you used and also consistency in your communication. Um, so if you are a teacher who is going to email and maybe you're going to email a newsletter or something, um, consistently emailing that newsletter, if you say you're going to email it every Monday morning, making sure that you email it every Monday morning and not sometimes emailing it Monday morning, sometimes emailing it on Tuesday, sometimes emailing it on Thursday, but being consistent with when you say you're going to email it. Um, or if you're a teacher who's going to use Remind or use something else or whatever you say you're going to do, do that communication. Um, so that's what I took out of that story. <laughs> Well, and I, I think that this is this is one of these like important pieces because that you you and I have had like very long years already and it, it is, you know, literally just like January now when, when this episode is being released. Um and I think that one of the keys to that to really being consistent with communication or consistent with what you say you're gonna do is not like over-promising. Like I, in some ways at the beginning of the year, sit down and say to myself, what am I 100% positive that I can do? And try to focus on those things, right? I think there's a temptation, right? When you're thinking about, you know, the differentiated methods um, to be like, oh, I have to do a newsletter and remind and have like a really beautiful UI on like the class page and be sending individual follow-up emails, like pick like the couple of things you're going to do and really, really stick with those and kind of like make sure that those are on point. Because I do agree with you that the consistency of the communication is really, really key. Um, and I, I certainly saw that as something that I think that Karen and her team did really, really well as the pandemic was kind of moving on. Though I also really did appreciate that one of the things that they talked about was the productive struggle of letting students and families see that it it was not perfect, right? Um, that there's something really meaningful, I think, about with students when you're in a classroom and something goes wrong, letting them see how do you troubleshoot that situation? What do you do? Um, I love when we talked about the uh, the Agora fire drills, right? Or the, um, you know, what happens when like the teachers, uh, you know, Zoom call or, or whatever sort of crashes down because it, it happens to teachers too. How are we teaching students to handle that kind of situation? But on the flip side, there's something really nice and I think really important about letting students and families see that you you are not a robot. <laughs> you are not perfect, um, but you're able to model for them, I think, really good problem solving. And I think that that was something that Karen's team did particularly well is even in moments where something made it impossible for them to be consistent as they probably wanted to be in that moment, um, that they were showcasing we're this is what our productive struggle looks like. And I think also showcasing we're not going to give up on you. We're not going to give up on your education. We're not going to give up on everything, like our role in your lives, um, just because this other situation has happened. And I, I'm sure that that was very meaningful and probably built a lot of trust. And that was also something that I took out of um, Karen's too. And I don't know if she she came out and said that or if I just put words in her mouth. Um, <laughs> but um, to assume the best of everyone, I have heard this a lot recently um, from various people in various situations. Um, but to just always assume that everyone 
is doing their best, is trying their best, has the best intentions. Um, and in the same situ in this same vein, right? Like the students are trying their best, especially in a situation like this, where um, in our case, for example, right, we know that we are for our school, we give the students their computers. Um, we like our school does give some internet reimbursement. Um, I, I don't even know how much it is anymore. I, I know it's not a ton. Um, but for school districts that are suddenly turned into um, virtual schools, right, that doesn't happen. So your students are doing the best that they can with what is going on around them. Um, so you know that some situations are not the best. We know that some areas of Pennsylvania don't have the best, rural Pennsylvania doesn't always have the best internet. Like we know all of that situation. Um, so if you, you assume that your students are doing their best, then you, that kind of puts a different view of the situation. Um, and I think um, for that same idea that you were talking about, Allison, where when you see your teachers having that productive struggle, um, then the students know, okay, if I'm trying my best, my teachers know that I'm trying my best. And even if my internet goes out in the middle of class, then it will still be okay. And they'll realize that I'm trying my best and they know it. Right, exactly. Well, and I think that goes back to something that you've said often in conversations, Em, which is that especially in cyber education where you can't always see the kids, you can't always see what's happening on the other side of the screen, you have to assume the best intentions, even when that is really difficult. And in Karen's interview, there was a great moment of this. Um, I loved that story about her going to Hershey World and coming back with the, to the chocolates um, and the sub report for one of the classes not being good because easily she could have just said, oh, the sub report wasn't good. Nobody gets chocolate. That's, that's the end of that. But instead she had that really interesting conversation where she said, what do you think we should do with this, right? Because we know that it was only a few students who were sort of making the ruckus and how can we do this in a way that is fair and they came up with on their own essentially you know some students taking chocolate and other students not based on their own evaluation of their own behavior right and I think that it's really easy to sort of fall into that disciplinarian mindset um, and, and to sort of not assume the best intent, you know, from, from all of the kids in that situation. So I thought that story was a really great reminder of that. I also loved her, her phrase, uh, I don't make threats, I make promises, um, because I thought that also kind of tied into that idea of trust, right? Like she talked a lot about making sure that students understand if you do the work, if you come, if you, you know, you're working with me, you're, you're going to pass this class, you're going to learn, you're going to do those things. Um, and I, I think that that idea of trust is really what has gotten us collectively, right, parents, students, teachers, administrators, all of it, you know, through this difficult situation is leaning on that trust that we've built and sort of looking for, you know, how can we bring in as many people as possible? How can we be communicating? How can we be showing each other that we're human having that productive struggle? But also how can we be, um, you know, 
being giving everybody sort of the benefit of the doubt in those kind of situations. So I, I think it was such a great interview. I think she had really fantastic things to say. Um, and just uh, to give her a plug again, if you are not following her on Twitter, you really, really need to. <laughs> because every time she posts something, it really does just like brighten up my day. I mean, if you're not her friend, you should be her friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So true. So true. So I thought that this would be an interesting opportunity since we're kind of reflecting on engagement. It is the beginning of the year. And I do think that the beginning of the school year is a really great time where if things haven't been going perfectly in your classroom, to have sort of a group meeting at the beginning of the year with your students and say, we're going to be changing some things about how this classroom runs, looking for their feedback, doing some things that are different. I know that I always do that. I have had a couple of years where something just like has not been working that I started doing at the beginning of the year. Um, one year it was actually a communication thing. It was, I had been doing a weekly newsletter and trying to do all these different communication things. And that was the year that we started using class websites. Do you remember those? And when we used to have oh, class websites. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember um, that was the year that I was like, guys, we've been doing all these things in all these different places. We're going to put them all on the class website. And I'm going to show you how to use this. And we're going to practice it for a couple of days. And that's where it's going to live. Um, and I, I, you know, have said on this podcast many times that I'm very afraid to make changes during the year, but I do think the new year is a good time if you're going to place a change, if you're going to do something a little bit differently. This is a, a moment when I think students are pretty open to it. Something that I often do um, around the beginning of the new year that I have um done several years now we always seem to have an asynchronous day um something that our school does is they um i'm gonna say randomly but it's not it's not pretty random. it's not actually random yeah it's not actually random um we'll have uh scattered asynchronous days um so we'll have those are days where we'll have professional development or we'll have various things going on. Um, so the students don't, they have school, but they don't have live classes. Um, so there always seems to be one around the new year, whether it's right before Christmas break or right after Christmas break. Um, so I'll assign my students a little reading about new years and making resolutions and that sort of thing. Um, and then I have them, um, I always say make some resolutions um, and I'll have them do some goal setting there. Um, but then I always say help Miss Sattler make some resolutions. Um, and then I have them basically an answer some questions like what are your favorite things about the class? What are your least favorite things about the class? If you were the teacher, what would you do instead? Um, and then I will look at that data and I'll usually try, if I can, to make some tweaks. Um, so I'll tell them, I'll say, based on what you told me, these are some things that we're gonna change um, for the rest of the year. Um, now, obviously, if they say, lots of them will always say that the writing assignments are too hard. Um, I never change those. Like, that's a non-negotiable, that's not changing. Um, <laughs> But um, I do look at their feedback and make changes. So it does help them feel like, oh, she's listening to what they're saying um, before making changes. Um, so that 
is kind of like my, I guess, first piece of engagement advice is that's like something to do when you get back um, is to be like, oh, let's make, help me make some resolutions. Um, and uh, then you can make some changes and then it helps them feel that they have some, um, they've had some say in the things that are changing too. Um, so there's, there's an idea. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that student engagement is very, very much about, I think, trust and systems. Like those are the two things that I come back to time and time again when I'm thinking about how am I allowing students to engage in class? Because one of the things that I always think about with student engagement is a story that actually is not from education at all, but I do think is really, really, really relevant to student engagement, which is, I cannot remember what book this is, if it was like Atomic Habits or one of one of those kind of like productivity self-help books. And there is a story about how if you want to do a habit, you want to make sure that there are the least number of obstacles to getting that done every day. And if you want to break like a bad habit, you want to add obstacles to that particular habit. So for example, in this particular story, the author talks about how he really wanted to play guitar every single day and he wasn't practicing his guitar because it was in a case, in a closet, and he had to, whenever he wanted to practice guitar, get out the guitar, take out the case, pull it out, get the music stand set up, tune it. And so it was never very easy to engage with the habit that he wanted. So the thing that he did to sort of fix that problem was that he got a guitar stand and, you know, kept the tune, tuning fork like right next to it and just kept the um, uh, music stand with the music up the entire time so that he could just walk over to like his favorite chair and everything was right there for him and he began practicing more. Similarly, he had a bad habit of, I think it was like eating a cookie every single night. He had like these particular cookies that he was like really into. Um, and so he started keeping them up on this like very top shelf. Now he's like a tall guy. And so it was pretty easy for him to still open it up and get to the top one. But it was enough of like an extra step that he began doing that bad habit less. So I think the same thing holds true with student engagement. I think we have to be thinking both about sort of the emotional pieces that like you just talked about, Em, in terms of getting that trust and making sure that students feel like if they try that they'll be received and be listened to. But for me, so much of student engagement comes down to those systems that you've put in place. Have you made participation easier than not participating? <laughs> so I think a lot about you know, patterns and routines and um, how are we, like, are we doing the same thing kind of every single day? So it's, it's really easy to go with the flow of class, come in, open up your stuff, read what you're supposed to do, go in and, and do the activity because it's kind of the same flow every single day. Um, user interface, I think, is a big one in terms of especially online or hybrid models. There is a tendency, and I did this a lot very, very early on, to write these big, long, like letters to my students, or if you do have a, a, you know, a newsletter that you send out, big, long things. We all know people don't read that. <laughs> they skim at best. So I do now a lot of my replies and things or things that are put in a newsletter. It's short, it's bulleted, it's pictures, it's memes, it's a GIF. It's a lot of stuff that's very visual where they can get information very fast. So like less words, more images, 
more of that kind of stuff where it's very easy to find the things that you need quickly and easily. Um, and I, I think that that's, those two things are like really, really important to student engagement as much as the emotional feedback is. I think it's also the structures that you put in place and making it easier to participate than it is to like not participate, if that makes sense. I think um, another good idea is to use choice um, for how they want to engage. Mm -hmm. um, so often I will say you can answer this question on the microphone or you can tell me in chat um, because some students hate to use the microphone. Like, and especially for us where we have a lot of students who come to us um, because they have had, they have social anxiety issues. They've had a lot of bullying in their previous schools or whatever. Um, asking them to get on the microphone, like, forget about it, especially when they <laughs> first come to us. Um, yeah. So, yeah, tell me in the microphone or tell me in the chat box. I don't care either way. Um, I still know you're there. I still know you're participating. That's all I care about. Um, and I know something else. So when our platform, which is different than Meets, different than Zoom, um, which are different than Teams, those are the three big ones people use. Um, but most most platforms allow this. Um, we have the opportunity for private chatting, so students can send a chat message just to their teacher. Um, so that's even another way for choice. You can put your message in the main chat or you can send a chat just to your teacher. Um, so again, another option for choice. If you don't want everybody to know, just send it to us. Um, well, and big plug here for Nearpod, because that's yeah. one of the big reasons that I've started using Nearpod, like at least three times a week for <laughs> um, uh, like paced classes, because you go into like their open-ended response questions or some of those things. And that voice record option is great because there are some students that like want to write a response. And so if you give students the opportunity to write in the system, you can click and you can just tell me your response. You can write a response out or in the Blackboard system that we're using, you can like do this activity with a partner and be sending it back and forth. I can see all those things incredibly easy in one click, but students respond very differently emotionally, I think to all of those options, right? And so it, it, I do think it does create better engagement. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of giving them choice. Um, something else that I have seen just in the general, general teaching population, like teachers saying, um, a lot of people have been pushing for um, cameras to be on um, in their classes. Um, you can have engagement and your cameras do not have to be on. Um, there are lots of ways to engage your students without cameras being on. Um, and again, like you, especially for um, public schools where students have suddenly been forced to be home and they didn't choose this option, um, you have to remember that they might not feel super comfortable with their camera being on. Um, maybe they are in a spot in their home that they're not comfortable showing on camera. Um, maybe they're in a tenuous home environment, maybe they're in a foster home, maybe they, ha they have a whole bunch of things, maybe they're just awkward middle schoolers and don't feel comfortable being on camera. 
And like so, so many of them do it from their bedroom. And like, I, I don't know about yeah. you, but like when I was that age, I didn't want to show anybody my bedroom. Yeah. It was always messy. It was always messy. I did not want anybody to see like my laundry. Yeah. Um. So like there are a ton of ways to engage your students without having those cameras on. Um. And I've seen a lot of teachers saying, but I don't know it's them if their camera isn't on. It is so easy to tell if there is a parent putting in answers for their kid. Um, you know very quickly if it is not the student answering. Um, so, and I know Karen said in her interview, like she does something where she has the student respond every like five to seven minutes. Um, we do the same thing. Like it's, you don't need their camera on. <laughs> I I completely agree with that. And I do think it goes back to something that Karen said in her interview and that we've sort of echoed in our, our reflection here, which is that it's about the benefit of the doubt. If we're so focused on, like to me, I would rather have a situation where maybe there were a couple of parents who were um, uh, overly engaged, let's say, in their child's education that day, but it meant that there were kids who were in those tenuous situations where they were not comfortable having like their whole class of kids look in on a very private place in their home to me like I would rather prioritize that right um I would rather prioritize their needs um rather than you know be so worried about you know the couple of people who are going to take advantage of a system because the people who are going to try to take advantage of a system are going to try to do that no matter what safeguards you put in place and so for me it is much more important to care about the students who may not have that voice to to get that protection that they that they need in a class. Um, but I, I completely agree with that. I think that you do not need cameras in order to have active engagement. I myself am not a person who like I, I do teach with a camera on most of the time, but I like in meetings and stuff don't always love having cameras on because I'm like I'm thinking, you know what I mean? Like I'm thinking, I'm making a thinking face. I'm like, I don't want to be so focused on the camera that I'm not focused on the actual work. And so I think that that's, you know, kind of an important point, but it does tie very nicely today into today's listener question, um, where I, I do think that we have some related advice. So do you want to read this one, Em? Should I read this one? I'm, I'm very excited about it. Um, well, you got it, so you can read it. Excellent. Okay. So today's listener question uh, says, hi, Cyber Sisters. My name is Marina from Bucks County, PA. I have two students doing distance learning this year due to pandemic concerns. My oldest daughter is thriving. She's always has the camera on, right? So this is, goes very much to what we were just talking about. She has lots of friends and is very engaged with the cool things that our teacher is doing. Awesome. Shout out to this teacher. We have no idea who this is, but <laughs> shout out to your teacher for doing cool things. My younger son, however, is really struggling. I cannot get him to turn his camera on. He does what the teacher asks, but he doesn't seem as pulled into the class. I have seen him request to work independently instead of with a group. I'm just really concerned about his socialization this year. I don't want him to fall behind any advice. <laughs> so I feel like this really goes right to the heart of what we were just talking about, that you can have engagement without a camera on. Um, so, um, what do you have to say to Marina about her concerns about her son? What advice do you have for her, um, given this information, given this question? Um, he definitely can be engaged without his camera on. That is for sure. Um, and I think this points to a little bit of potentially different types of students, um, like extrovert versus introvert. Um, 
obviously as parents you probably are seeing a lot more of your how your students work in school for lack of a different term um what your students are like during school let's say it like that um he during school might just naturally be quieter um and that's what you're seeing um he probably i have one student this year who she is the sweetest thing ever um she always requests to work by herself she whenever we do group work um which is fine like i just let her go i let her go work by herself i have a couple kids like that actually um there are times that i do push her out of her comfort zone a little bit and i say all right sweetie let's work with a group this time um, and usually when I say, let's try it this time, she'll do it. Um, and I don't make her do that every time, but every once in a while, she'll do it. Um, and I think um, that that's something that the teacher will do is sometimes gentle pushes, but at the same time, you don't want to push too hard. Um, so it sounds like if he's doing what the teacher asks, the teacher probably knows how much to push him um, and to um, make sure that the right balance of pushing out of the comfort zone, but not so much that he'll completely shut down because you don't want that either. Yeah, I, I completely agree with this. Um, I think my my thoughts on this are, first, I'm very excited that your older daughter is having such a good experience. Like, I'm glad that she loves it. She's doing great with the technology. Oh, wonderful, thanks. Super excited to hear it. Um, in terms of your younger son, I, I, I hear two concerns kind of happening in her question. I think the first one is about um, making sure that her student is getting the things that he needs this year and the other and like actually engaging with the learning and the other part is about engaging socially right um, when it comes to the learning I mean I would be taking a look at here it, it says in the question right he does what the teacher asks right so if he's following directions if his grades look good if you're occasionally looking over his shoulder and like the answers he's writing seem fine um, you're taking a look at those like doing the general monitoring and it looks like good then then you're probably okay in terms of the academics um, this is one of the big concerns that I often hear as a cyber teacher when I'm talking with just sort of people in the general populace and sometimes other teachers too is what about socialization like I'm so concerned about your student socialization um, and socialization is one of those things that I think many many people have a tendency to look at you know Marina's older daughter and say this is a student who clearly is well socialized right because she's very extroverted and she's showing these markers you can have an introverted student who is still very very well socialized but for for me i'm looking at for certain indicators right i'm looking for is your son someone who is able to listen to other people to understand the things that they're saying is able to communicate his thoughts. It may not be as loudly, as, uh, loudly and as broadly um, as your daughter does, um, but it is if you ask him how he feels about something, can he articulate that? Keeping in mind that like kids of a certain age, I, I talk to my twelve-year-olds all the time and say, "Oh, how was your day?" and I get a lot of like, "That was fine," you know, those kind of answers. But if you ask them to dig in deeper, or if you get them to talk about something that they're really passionate about, can they articulate themselves well? Um, 
can they pick up on the emotions of others, right? And act with empathy and with kindness. And you don't need to have them doing that with, you know, a, a student across the state or a student in their class. You can see that in the way that he's maybe acting with his sister or with you or with, you know, other people that they may interact with normally. So I, I think for me, the, the, the question really is twofold. You can take a look at the data to see whether or not your student is getting what he needs, academically speaking. And if you're concerned that he's not, absolutely reach out to that teacher and be like, hey, what are you seeing on this other end? Do you have concerns about his academics, right? But if it is the socialization stuff, keep in mind that we socialize with many, many, many people and in many different ways. And he may be learning new socialization skills from uh, this kind of distance learning. That's one of the big things that I have found in my many years doing this tends to happen when students join a virtual environment because all of a sudden they're practicing a kind of socializing that happens all the time, whether it's on social media, in comment sections, YouTube videos, all these places where we're interacting with vast amounts of people that we can't necessarily see on the other side. And there are rules of conversation and there are ways that we communicate with people in this broader landscape of the internet and cyber schools are a great place to learn those skills so also keep in mind some of the ways in which he is learning to socialize may be different because they're taking place on the internet and it's not necessarily a bad thing that it's a little bit hard or that he is um, opting out occasionally by saying you know what i don't want to work with the group today i want to work independently because i'm trying to learn something about this skill. That can be okay. And in fact, the fact that he's voicing that need, that thing that he wants, I would prefer to learn independently today. That's a good sign that he's well socialated because he can look at himself. He has that self-awareness to say, this is how I'm going to learn best. And I'm going to communicate that need. So I, I, in many ways, I, I just sort of want to reassure here to this, uh, to Marina, that I think that this really is a situation where maybe just your, your older daughter is a little bit more extroverted and a little bit more introverted. Uh, your son is a little bit more introverted. Um, and this, this situation will, you know, end eventually, right? It, you're, it says in your email here that you have been doing distance learning for pandemic reasons and maybe your daughter will love it and you'll decide to continue on with that model forever great and maybe with your son you'll try it in in you know back in person when they're able to do that um but i i would not be concerned that this year is like a lost year or that he's falling behind or that something terrible is happening um this actually may be really good productive struggle and i i see a lot of signs in here that he is absolutely just fine and I was going to say, too, something else that could be happening is for the social socialization piece, he could be um, chatting using like typing um, and you just don't know because you can't hear him um, as opposed to your older daughter, where if she's using the mic a lot, um, because I know like we have lots of students who prefer to chat using the text typing. Yes. Um, as opposed to the mic. So that could also be happening and you just aren't aware because you can't hear it as much as you hear your older daughter. Um, so that could be happening as well. 
Absolutely. Well, I think that this is an excellent question. Um, and I do wish the very, very best, Marina, uh, to you and to both of your children this year. I am so glad um, that, you know, concerns aside, you know, that they are able to be safe um, and having what sounds like, for the most part, a pretty good experience with their education overall. That is a very important thing. Um, so this has been like a really fun episode. It was really nice to just kind of like reflect on something. Um, and I'm really excited to get started in the new year. I think after my good break, refill up the cup, I'm going to be ready to jump on in. Um, with some big and exciting things for the second half of the year. I'm especially excited that our team is going to have a student teacher. Yeah. <laughs> These are such amazing things. Um, and actually, our very next episode, um, we are going to be talking with um, Sam Fesich, who is uh, sort of an expert in pre-service teachers and giving us a little bit of a crash course in what to expect uh, when you're going to have a student teacher, and especially in this model, what, what things should we be thinking about. So I think it's going to be a really awesome episode. In the meantime, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Cyber Sisters podcast. You can keep in touch with us on our socials. We're on Twitter at, at Allison K Teaches and at Sattler Cyber. We always appreciate keeping the conversation going, so please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and keep trying hard.